0: He died for you, he died for me From our sin he set us free He loved to save his life he gave So if we ask we can
1: Hello, I'm Rick Hurtless, founder of His Gospel Power. Thank you for joining the program with us once again. We are in the book of 1 Peter. We're in the second chapter, and we are talking about the last days. And of course, Peter already, as as we talked about yesterday, he said we were in the last days. And in fact, Paul said we are in the last days, and that was 2,000 years ago. But really, we have begun the last days because Jesus has showed up on the scene and has... um, given us this grace period. In uh, Daniel, we there, when you talk about the seven weeks of Daniel, we've already gone through six weeks. When Jesus came on the, into the world, that started a grace period before the seventh week. The seventh week will be the tribulation period, but right now we're in that grace period. And of course, so far, that has been 2,000 years. We don't know how long the grace period will be. Some say, well, it could be another 1,000 years. Of course, I personally believe that we are about to see the second coming, the return of Jesus Christ, that we are very close to entering into the tribulation period. We're seeing all of the things that are lining up with Scripture about the, the, the coming of Christ And so we are just getting prepared for that because that's what we're looking for. Now, no matter what, however, we should live these days like they are the last days because they are your last days. You only have approximately 100 years and somewhere an average of about 100 years on this earth. And in fact, the reality is, I think for men, the average is only like 74 years or something. For women, it's 89 or something. Uh, so we only have a short period of time on this earth. So you are in your last days for sure, and you should be living every bit of breath in your body for the Lord Jesus Christ if you know him as your Lord and Savior. So let's jump into the scripture. Chapter, first Peter, chapter two, verse four. As you come to him, the living stone rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And, of course, the living stone that Peter is talking about is Jesus Christ, the living stone with a capital S. And now he says that you are all stones as well you're like living stones in other words you're a whole bunch of of little jesus'es if you will um we are christians we're Christ like and so you're a bunch of of uh, people that are living for Christ and because of that you are building a house on the rock you are a royal priesthood that we are able to go to jesus because of his sacrifice. We can go to God rather through Jesus because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. You do not have to go through a priest. You can go straight to God. You don't have to wait to confess your sins until Sunday. You can go straight to God because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. We are a royal priesthood. We are a holy priesthood because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. What do those sacrifices look like? Repentance. That's what they look like. It's not burning any incense. It's not burning any uh, bulls or lambs or birds or anything. Our holy sacrifice to God is our repentance because of the blood of Jesus Christ, the one true sacrifice that is an eternal sacrifice for all men. Brother Ron Stortle is uh, with us here in the studio. Brother Ron Stortle, Um we are spiritual sacrifices
2: acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And that, that's exciting. Oh, it is exciting. And one of the most exciting things is that we don't have to do what you said, offer sacrifices to atone for our sin. Living in these days, as compared to living in the Old Testament times, it it was a lot of work to atone for your sins. That's back right. Then. That's right. These, I mean, these I don't
1: in- I don't think I would have wanted to be a priest back then. It was that was a bloody job. Yeah. I mean, they were basically. It's kind of like I hate to put it like this, but it's really it would be like going to a butcher shop. You know, they're slaughtering the animals, they're carving them up, they're they're doing. That's part of the sacrifice.
2: Yeah, and it was definitely a full time job. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And but on this. A lot of people wonder, why do they talk about Jesus as a stone? But if you look at the foundation of a house, in scripture it says that Jesus is the cornerstone of our salvation and of the church that he has built. So that's why there's so many references to to Jesus as being the stone because for any building there has to be a cornerstone that supports the entire building. And that's what Jesus is for the church, for our Christian walk, for our salvation. And the key thing that's really important is that he's still living as a living stone. If he was a dead stone and we were just going off things that he had done but isn't doing anymore, then he would just have been another prophet. But since he is still living and still active, that is how we know that we still have his covering over us and not just a past covering.
1: Exactly. You know, the prophet of, uh, Muhammad, Muhammad, the prophet of Allah, who is the self-proclaimed moon. God is basically who's, I mean, it's safe. The prophet of the self, of the uh, moon. God, rather self-proclaimed prophet of the moon. God is what I'm trying to say. That's what, that's who Allah is. And so, so, uh, Muhammad is the prophet of the moon god, Allah. Now, let's take for a second, uh, let's talk about that for one second. The, the word in, uh, in the Middle East for God is Allah. Okay. That's where it gets confusing. So the, in other words, if you're going to say God here, you're going to say God, but over there, even if you are a Christian, you might say Allah because Allah, is going to, it's kind of going to be like with our big A, big A Allah is Yahweh. Little A Allah is Muhammad's Allah. It's, it's just like our gods that, uh, that people like Buddha, for example, people worship the God Buddha. Well, that's little G God. We still use the word God for Buddha, even though he's not the true God. He's a, he's, a a, um, um, an idol he's just an idol he's just nothing actually he's just a, a stat a, a statue that can is going to burn up but so muhammad is the self-proclaimed prophet of allah but we know for a fact that allah i mean that, that muhammad everything that he stood for and said num- from what he did not steal from the bible he perverted the bible he perverted the word of god tried to change it to fit his agenda which was just to make him powerful is really what it amounts to. And um, he has built that religion. He started that religion, which, of course, is the religion of Satan. And so now he is not the cornerstone. But our cornerstone stands forever, who is more than a prophet. Because even though he is a prophet, he's a big P prophet, okay? He's the capital P prophet, because God, uh, Jesus in the book of Hebrews is touted as a prophet. But um, the, the strange part is, is that even though Muslims do not revere Jesus, they recognize that he was a prophet. Or they say he was a prophet. Uh, that's the, the irony of all of this. They say he's a prophet. But they believe he's dead. Well, their prophet, Muhammad, is dead. Our prophet, Jesus, who is the Son of God, is the cornerstone whom the builders rejected and is now sitting at the right hand of the Father eternally. He is the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. Just like we talked about in John 1. So we look at our God. He is the cornerstone. And he was a prophet. He was everything. That's the thing is that, that God is everything. That's what we we I try to make everyone understand. God is everything. God is the—he's uh, the moon, the sun, the air. He is everything. God is actually uh, okay. You can get—we could get into some uh, uh, big-time theological discussions. We're about to get in some trouble. He's not—he uh, is the creator of all of those things. Okay, so let's get all of that straightened back out again. Uh, I just was using that as hyperbole because God is actually the creator of all of those things. He is seen in all of those things. He says that in Romans 1, but he doesn't have to be all of those things. See, he's not finite. Whereas if you're worshiping the moon God, that's finite. The moon's going to go away. The sun's going to go away. The earth's going to go away. The trees are going to go away. Whatever God you're worshiping is going to go away. But our God who created them can be seen in all of those things. And so, But that's our God because he's all-powerful.
2: And we talked about this earlier this week, how God is outside of time, space, and matter. That's how he exists. He created those things for us. So since he exists outside of time, space, and matter, none of those influence what he does. And it's funny that we keep bringing this up, how Satan is an imitator of God and his word. Islam is the same exact thing. Satan took the Bible, and they say in every lie there is an aspect of truth, so that it becomes believable. And that's the way the Quran is. They took aspects of truth, and then distorted the rest of it, so when some people look at it, they go, Oh, well, your Bible says that too, so my Quran must be true, because both of ours say the same thing. But yet they forget about the portion that was distorted by Muhammad, which turns it into a religion of hate and murder and pedophilia and and just in, yeah everything that's anti-god right.
1: anti-Christ I mean that's that's the bottom line it's an anti-Christ religion um now I want to jump back real quick uh, because I want to make sure you understand what I was not talking about a minute ago was pantheism pantheism is the belief that all reality is identi- uh, identical with divinity in other words that everything is god No, that, that's not what I'm talking about. When I was, I I was getting excited a minute ago. Like I said, it was hyperbole because to me, my God is everything. However, God is the creator of everything. He doesn't need any of those things. So when they go away, God still remains in the, in the belief of pantheism. When all of those things go away, then God goes away because he is those things. So if you're worshiping the sun and it blows up, guess what? Your God's gone. Well, my God is the creator of the sun, the creator of the moon, the creator of us, creator of all things. And so I just want to make sure that that gets clear so that I don't get a bunch of emails saying, oh, you're what are you talking about? Worship and pantheism now. No, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about uh I just got excited. <laughs> Sometimes I get excited when I'm talking about God. I mean, it's just it's just part of my life. You know, God is my life. And so. Uh, that's, that's, uh, gets to be exaggeration. That's what hyperbole is, by the way, in case you're wondering, that's, I was get to be exaggerating for just a second, but, uh, uh, so let's move on. Okay. See, I lay the cornerstone, uh, lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone. This is exactly what Ron was talking about. And the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. And and let's just stop there. The theme comes back to trust again. We continuously talk about trust because, as I think, as Americans, we don't trust God. I mean, in my experience and and uh, and what I see is that American Christians, by and large, do not trust God. Uh, we we trust the doctors, we trust uh, the bankers, we trust the government. <laughs> some uh, there were some more some morons trust the government. Um still you have your trust in something. There's something that you're trusting in. Some people out there, they trust in Donald Trump. Uh oh, I'm about to get in some trouble. Well, I believe in Donald Trump as far as I believe I I voted for him and I believe that he wants to do good, but I don't I don't trust in him. He's not my salvation. He's not the salvation of America. Now one thing I'll say with that deal with uh with Las Vegas with the maniac who shot up Las Vegas, and our president got on TV and prayed to God, and and uh, and said that that we need to uh, uh, that, that God is in control. Well, let me tell you, that makes me <laughs> that makes me trust what He is doing, but I don't trust in Donald Trump. He's still just a man. And so so I want to make sure that you understand that you need to trust God. And you can, all of those things that he places into power like Donald Trump, as long as we're putting God first, we can begin to trust in some of those things. I think one
2: of the big problems with the church these days is they read the Bible and they see in the Bible all these miraculous events that happen. The miracles, the healing, the people raising from the dead. And Americans specifically today are visual people. They need to see it to believe it. So they can see their bankers. They can see the government. They can see all these things that if I see it, I can trust it. They can hold money in their hand, therefore they trust it. What they don't realize is the church has become so lax that all these events in the Bible, Jesus said we'll be able to do those things and greater. They're not happening because people aren't trusting God. Therefore, they're not seeing the events. Therefore, they're not trusting them. It's a series of events. You trust God. God reveals himself in the ways that he did in the Bible. And then you have that as an example. A lot of Christians these days are doing it backwards. They think, well, if I see the events, then I'll believe in God, and then I'll trust him. Well, you need to do it the opposite way. And if we don't have pastors saying that, then they're not going to get their church in line, which isn't going to get your state in line, which isn't going to get the nation in line, which isn't going to get the world in line. So it starts at the base level, and I would even go as far as it starts in the home. If you are not talking with your family about scripture, then your church isn't going to be talking about it, and progressively all the way up the chain. And that's where the church has failed. They failed to encourage the family to be a christian household they just encourage them to come to church and hear the feel good sermon from the pastor so they feel good about themselves the rest of the week in their carnal lives
1: and, and really it just what you just said takes us right back to first peter first chapter again that um um Let me, verse 5, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Your faith is not growing because you will not exercise your faith. It is it is like a muscle. If you don't use your muscles, they go away. If you do not use your faith, it dwindles. It does not grow. Do you step out and use your faith? Is there something that God is impressed on your heart to do, but you will not do because you don't have the money, or you don't have the time, or you don't have something? Something you're using as an excuse, that God has told you to do and you're saying, no, I'm I'm not going to do it because of this, whatever, this excuse, I'm not going to do it because of this, whatever, you fill in the blank. I can't fill that blank in for you. Well, then you're not trusting God. Your faith will not grow. You have to step out. Maybe it could be something God's saying, you know what? Quit your job. And get out and do this. And you're like, wait a minute, God, I make $100,000 a year. How can I do that? Well, one, you get your priorities in line. And uh, you do what it is that God would have you to do. Our American dream nowadays, really, I think Satan has used the American dream to tear families down. Because there was a time when the american dream was for the woman to stay in the house and raise the children the men to work we had a car we had a house we had nice things but then somewhere along the way those things did were not enough now instead of a one story house if you're going to have the american dream you have to have a two story and now instead of one car you have to have two cars and so and now so in order to do that the woman has to work the woman has to be Out in the workforce, which has what? It has, we've lost our kids. Because now the kids have no guidance. Many of them come home from school to an empty house. They have to guide themselves to do their own homework, which they don't do. They have to guide themselves to do things that are supposed to be done, their their um, obligations, which they don't do because there's no guidance. And so what we have done is we've allowed our faith in the American dream, our faith in the system, to take away from our faith in God, which God says that we have faith in him, put everything right back the way it's supposed to be. God said man will work by the sweat of his brow, not woman. Now, that being said, God also said that woman was your helpmate, which meant if the woman was in the field the, the i mean if the man was in the field, the woman should be helping him, and then you could even okay, now you can take that and extend it well, if the household needs a more income, then the woman can help with that income, but it cannot be at the um uh the the degradation of the family once you begin to go against what God has set up, then you're no longer in God's will, and I do not believe it will be blessed. And I see that the degradation of the family is because there is no guidance at home any longer because of that nurturing that only the mother can do. I'm, you know what? I'm a man. We are not good nurturers. It just, it, okay, I know that I'm generalizing, and there are some men who are probably, okay, good nurturers, but I'm not one of them. Most men I know are not one of them. That's not what God planned for us. So he didn't put us in the family to do that. He put the woman in the family to do that. Are they having time to do that if they have a 40, 50, 60-hour-a-week
2: job? I'm going to say no. Well, even worse than that, than both parents working, are single parents. Single parents that have kids that have to work, where are the kids at that point then? That's right. They almost have no guidance. Right. Now, I do know a lot of single parents that have help whether family members or friends that help take care of the kids while they're at work, and then when they do come home, they do spend time with them. But still, you've got half of what God ordained in the family, and then that half is gone most of the time anyways. So both those circumstances, neither one of them are good for the family. And we know children these days, no matter how well you've trained them, You give them some free reign and they're still anywhere up through high school. There's no parents in the house. They're not going to be sitting there going, how can I help make this family better? It's the whole idle hands thing. And, of
1: course, it's not only the children of these days. It's just you didn't see it in the other days because they had the guidance. Right. But now it's children of these days because they don't have the guidance. All children have always been the same. But now they're allowed to just... Do
2: whatever because they don't have they have free reign. They all have cell phones. They all have TVs and game consoles in their rooms, and some of them even have cars these days at that age. And if there's no parents around, they're just they're going to run around ragged until they get themselves in trouble. That's exactly right. And so, and and which which happens a lot.
1: And then, of course, uh, then the family falls apart. Next thing you know, I hate to say it, I think our our spiking divorce rate and everything else can be you can you can go back and see when the women started working uh, the the household started falling apart now it's not only the it's not the women's fault at all uh it, but it, it it is that um um there is no guidance and no nurturing uh, maybe sometimes a lot of times the man will come home and there's no wife there well that's not good for the family either so now there were those days when the when the man worked too hard And, of course, the family crumbled because he was always gone, but that was his decision because he was chasing that American dream instead of doing what God has said, which is to support your family.
2: So how does it work out mentally when you've got two mothers or two fathers in the house Hmm. with kids? Are they over-nurtured or or over-authoritative? that just is confusing to me well that's just
1: all messed up altogether. i mean so you've you've already stepped in you had to open that i did oh uh, you know you've at that point it's all disobedience and so there can be no blessing there can be no blessing in that household because it's all disobedience and then what are you doing you're teaching your children not in the way they should grow you're tre- teaching them in the way that the world says they should grow which is absolutely who who are we following satan because he is the god of this world and so if you're teaching your children in the way the world says they should grow you can take that out put a little blank there so now you're teaching them in the way satan says they should grow which of course leads to debauchery and uh, and heartbreak and sin and death
2: and i had this conversation with i i have a friend that got married to her female significant other, and they have a young boy. And she asked me one time, she said, I know you're a Christian, how do you feel about homosexual marriage? And I, and I told her, I said, as a Christian, you know I don't support it. And when the votes come down, I'm obviously going to vote against it. But because it is the law of the land, and I am required to obey the leadership Until I can get it changed, I will obey it, and I won't, really, not that I won't speak out against it, but I won't bash, I guess you could say, this law, even though I don't agree with it. So, as Christians, we still have to obey the laws, even though we don't agree with them, but we need to take every opportunity to revoke them, when we have the opportunities. So you really believe
1: that? You, you believe that you have to obey the laws even though they're not God's laws. I disagree. Now, now, now we're going to do this right on the air. We're going to do this right on the air. God, uh, we should obey the laws of the land. But when it comes time that they're against God, I mean, there are places in the Bible, Daniel, he didn't obey the law of the land. He still prayed. He was told the law of the land was, you can't pray. Guess what? he did. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were told that they could not obey the laws of the land. They did. What happened? They were thrown in the fire. Now, God protected them. Uh, John the Baptist said, you have to obey the laws of the land. He didn't obey them. He said, Herod, you should not have married uh, Herodias. They took him. They cut his head off. There has to come a time if that woman would have asked me that same question, and I know this to be a fact because I've been asked that before, I addressed the question head on. No, I absolutely do not agree with it. I know it is sin, and I will not stand anywhere close to agreeing with it, even whether I, I don't. My law, I don't care what the law says. My God says this is the law, and I'm not going to stand on that. I'm going to stand on the fact that God says His law is that that uh, a woman shall not marry a woman or lie with a woman, and neither shall a man. So I can't, at that point, we're almost condoning it, because I'm not going to, I cannot sugarcoat this. It begins, I think that once we start getting so much into um, placating what's going on, we we begin to start having some real problems, which we have them right now, because now pastors won't speak out again. It's a law of the land. Well, really, truthfully, it's not the law of the land. It was a decision that was brought down by the Supreme Court, who, by the way, does not make laws in our land. They are supposed to interpret the laws of our land. It was a misinterpretation. So they should have come down with whatever stupid decision they want. And now our lazy, backboneless Congress should have said, okay, you Supreme Court justices, you interpreted this, you interpreted it wrong, now let's make a law that you can understand better. No man shall marry a man, no woman shall marry a woman. Now when it comes up before you, Supreme Court, see if you can twist that one to make it work. You see, our laws are made by the legislative branch, so there is still no law for homosexual marriage. It didn't happen. It's not there. It's not on the books. No one will fight it. There is still no law for no prayer in schools. It didn't happen. The same thing happened, it was legislated from the bench, it should have gone back to Congress and said, uh, we beg to differ with you, we can pray in schools. There is no law that says you have to allow abortion. It didn't happen, it was legislated once again from the bench, it did not go back to Congress because they're spineless or because it is actually their agenda and they want to follow that. So, I do not agree at all i would come against that if someone were to ask me that i'm going to tell them first remember you asked (laughs) well and And then i'm going to tell them hammer down they are sinning against god and if they do not repent they are in danger of losing their soul that's
2: the bottom line and really the way you explained it is the way it came down it's it's not that I ever supported it and I would always vote against it but since I really don't have any control over the the legislation side of it right now that I can't I can't look at them and say no you're not married because the courts have said they are and I have to just acknowledge what the court has given them and that that's really what it came down to well and the court the the thing is
1: though is you can't even a physical law says they can't be married i mean you can take a bolt and you can marry it to a nut but you can't marry a bolt to a bolt or a nut to a nut i mean that's the physical law says they can't even be married because when you start looking at the definition of marriage it has to be that one fits into the other if you marry slot a uh to with tab b you can marry that, but you can't marry slot a to slot a or slot or tab b to tab b it doesn't work it's not a physical law that can even happen so you know there was a time i'll end with this there was a time when I was preaching in a uh i used to go to a um uh assisted living, and I'd do that every single week, and we got into Romans chapter one well. When you get into the word, I'm not going to just skip over the parts that feel good. I, you know, I'm going to preach the parts that feel bad, too. Well, so I got into Romans chapter 1, and I was preaching it. But When I finished, this very, very pretty young nurse broke down in tears and then left. I said, are you okay? Something. She said, no. I mean, uh, can I help you with something? She said, no. And so she just left. Well, the next week I come back. She left. I don't know if she left all the way the building. I couldn't find her. I tried to find her, and I couldn't couldn't find her. Next week, I come back, and she was again in my service. And I still did my preaching, and she came to me afterwards, and she said, I want to tell you what happened last week. She said that I broke down because uh, you were teaching about homosexuality, and I've been in a homosexual relationship with my with this woman for I don't remember how many years. And she said, does that mean that I can never see my friend again? She said, because we have decided, actually, she said, we decided a year ago that we should not be in a homosexual relationship. They both got saved. She said, we decided in a year ago that we should not be in a homosexual relationship, but she's still my friend and I still love her as a friend and we still live together. Um, And she said, but we're not. You know, we're not practicing that relationship any longer. We have repented. We are come out of that. And I told her, I said, no, you can, absolutely, you can be friends. You know, once you get saved, you can still be friends. You should love your brother still. And so that could still be a relationship, a, a loving relationship like that. You've come out of that homosexual, sinful relationship. It doesn't mean you can't ever see the people again. Well, and she was relieved of that. and. um and she said, well, do I have to move out with my friend? And I said to her, I said, if you can live like that without lewd thoughts and without anything, you know, with that temptation, then I'd say live together. Now, I don't know how you feel about what I just said, but that was my advice to her because it's as long as they're living in that platonic relationship, it, they're just roommates. Well, she came back about two weeks later. Might have been a month. Could have been a month later. It was not too long. She came back and she sat in the service and she said, I just want to tell everybody this is my last meeting here. She said, because I'm moving, uh, I'm moving back in with my parents. I've, uh, I've come to decide that I should break the, t- the relationship that she's totally the relationship she was in. Uh, she'll still remain friends. She but see the Holy Spirit works it out. I, I'm a man, I don't have to work it out. I just have to tell the truth. And I think that's what happens throughout our life. If we will just tell the truth and allow the Holy Spirit to take to work it out, then he will do it according to his glory. Well, this has been an interesting discussion and I don't know how we got it well yes I do. It's just Yep I yeah, started. We, it. You know, Ron started it, stepped in it, but we got into this discussion and that's all right. You know, that's uh we we if we do not address sin in the world, we can never hope to overcome what what needs. To, we're not teaching people to obey the commandments, and so we're taught to teach people to obey the commandments. And that one of these commandments is, "You will not lie." A woman will not lie with a woman. A man will not lie with a man. So we are we are doing what God has told us to do. Well, we're going to continue this study tomorrow, uh, and we're in the last days in First Peter. I'd like another exciting study i pray that you're enjoying these studies i know that i am if you're not getting anything out of it i am and so i'm excited and I, uh, i'm excited to have you join with us each and every day if you would like to uh, get our app go to itunes or to google apps get our app so you can listen to it on your telephone if you're not doing that already otherwise go to hisgospelpower.org also, if you see us on Facebook or if you just uh, look us up on Facebook, His Gospel Power, uh, please like us on Facebook and, uh, and help us to spread the gospel around the world. Until tomorrow, I pray you receive His Gospel Power today. My life was flying by I always
0: wondered why I was so empty deep within Spirit see and you forgave me. With all my heart and soul